if you're the type of person who, if something difficult or painful was coming into your life, are you the sort of person who would like to know that ahead of time? So you can prepare yourself for that, or would you say, I just don't want to know about it, so I'd rather just come and sort of surprise me, but I wouldn't want to know ahead of time. So let's say, for example, at a smaller level, you were at the doctor's office, and you needed to get a shot. Would you like for them to say, we're going to need to give you a shot today? And then when they come with the syringe, they'd say, it's going to hurt a little bit. I'm going to prepare to give it to you. I'm going to count down, and I'm going to give you the shot. Maybe that's the way you'd like it. Or perhaps you don't want to know at all. So you'd rather actually just be sitting in the doctor's office, all of a sudden feel this piercing pain because the nurse stuck up behind you and, and poked you with the needle. You say, I don't want to know ahead of time, just give it to me. Or maybe you have moved to Boston this summer. You just moved here at the beginning of June. If so, welcome to Boston. It's been a beautiful six weeks. And so maybe you'd rather me not tell you that it's not always like this, that the weather changes in Boston, that, that it won't be like this, quite like this in February. In fact, it will be cold, really cold, and there will be a little bit of snow here and there. So maybe you'd like to prepare yourself for that, or maybe you say, I'd just like to be naive and, and take it when it comes. Well, God in his wisdom often cautions, warns his people. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus often gives warnings. So I just want to prepare you for this. So our Savior and King who knows us best, who knows us better than we know ourselves, evidently thinks it's good for us to know some of the challenges that we are going to face. And so this morning we'll see some of those as Jesus warns us of what we'll face perhaps this week and certainly in our lives. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 10. Today we're in Matthew 10, starting in verse 16. You can find it in the Bibles near you on page 815. Page 815. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you, so you can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers you'll find are the chapter numbers. So we're in chapter 10. And the smaller numbers, the verse numbers, and we'll start in verse 16. I'll mention those throughout our time together. And if you don't own a copy of a Bible, we as a church would love to give you one. So at the back of the room, there's a table, there's a sign there, and a stack of Bibles that just say free. So following the service, we'd love for you to stop by there, just grab one of those Bibles, take it with you as our gift this morning. So today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 10, beginning in verse 16. These are the words of Jesus. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. 
For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the household, on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This morning we see this emphasis in the passage. You will face opposition for following Jesus. So don't be surprised or afraid. You will face opposition for following Jesus, so don't be surprised or afraid. And we'll look at our text in two parts. First, we'll see, don't be surprised. And then second, don't be afraid. Just for your understanding, the first point will be the longest of the two. So don't be surprised, and then don't be afraid. So first, don't be surprised. Now, our text continues what we saw last week. We saw Jesus called out, from his disciples, these 12, uh, that we call the 12 apostles. And he was about to send them out on this sort of brief mission expedition to go and proclaim the news of his kingdom and to do various miracles. And so he's preparing them for what they are about to face. That's where we pick up our text today. And here, Jesus gives some instructions to them, prepares them for some challenges that his disciples would face, but in fact that all disciples all followers of Jesus face. He wanted us to see, we want to see here how Jesus describes both them and us. Look down to verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Disciples of Jesus are those who were sent out into the mission of Jesus And he wants us to be aware that as we're on this mission, we are sent out as like sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus says this is the reality, that we, the followers of Jesus, are like sheep, by which he means that we are vulnerable. We are weak, we we are not strong, and there are some wolves out to get these sheep, out to get us. These wolves are people who are opposed to Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and therefore are opposed to all who follow Jesus. So disciples of Jesus will always be vulnerable like sheep, and will sometimes be attacked by wolves. Jesus goes on to say, because of this, because we're like sheep, we also are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Author D.A. Carson writes helpfully on this. He says, In several ancient Near Eastern cultures, snakes or serpents were proverbial for prudence, shrewdness. 
But this virtue easily degenerates into cheap cunning, unless it is married to simplicity, innocence. Doves are retiring, but not astute. They can easily be snared by a fowler. Such innocence quickly degenerates into ignorance, even naivete, if not married to prudence. Jesus' disciples must therefore be shrewd, prudent, avoiding attacks where possible, behaving wisely and with farsighted realism. But they also must be innocent, open, not so cautious, suspicious, and cunning that they become paranoid, elusive, fearful. Doubtless the balance is difficult, but if we find it hard to articulate in the Western world, it is because we have experienced relatively little opposition. So Jesus wants us to understand that in this world we will always be vulnerable like a sheep. And because of that, we must be wise, shrewd, but innocent, upright. Now this, of course, is not simple to do. It's not obvious always what this will look like. That's one of the many reasons we need other Christians in a local church to help us. So that you find yourself in a situation on campus or at work or in a family relationship and you're trying to think through, well, what does it look like to be wise and innocent? So to have some other brothers and sisters to give some guidance, to share from their own experience, or just to simply be an outside voice will always be helpful to us. Jesus then cautions, beware of what is coming, what these disciples will face. Verse 17 and 18. He gives a glimpse of some of what the wolves will do to the sheep. Verse 17, he says, they will deliver them over to courts and flog them in the synagogues. Verse 18, they will be dragged before governors and kings. And then down in verse 21 and 22, he says, family will turn against family. Sibling will turn against sibling. Parents will turn against child. Child against parents. All because people are following Jesus as king. As you're looking at this text, you, you, like me, are likely wondering, okay, are these instructions that Jesus gives to his apostles here, are they only for them in this mission that they're about to start? Is it only for the first generation of Christians? Or is it for us as well? When we read it more closely, we see that in Jesus' instructions in chapter 10, they start with immediate practical things related to what they're about to do. But then our verses today, they widen out. Because, for instance, Jesus says that, that they'll be dragged into synagogues, which at this point in history, that's not yet happening. He says also they'll be before kings and governors. That also wouldn't happen until later. And they're also told they'll be before the Gentiles when last week we saw initially Jesus clearly ascending them only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the, the horizon widens out in these instructions. They're for those apostles, but they're also for every generation of Christians, for all disciples. So this opposition began with those 12. But we see it continue on in the book of Acts, in history, and in throughout history. Now Jesus is certainly not saying that this sort of hap what will happen in, in every way to all Christians at all times. That's not what he's saying. But it does happen often in history. And he's not saying it's happening everywhere in the world today, although 
it is quite common in the world today. But Jesus is saying these instructions are, are good and wise and helpful for all disciples at all times. So therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when you and I face some level of opposition today. It's certainly true that some of what we see here can feel so distant to us as Americans because we are blessed with extraordinary religious liberty where there's no danger today that someone's going to come in here and drag us out because we worship Jesus. So there is great freedom. In fact, unusual in the world today and certainly unusual across world history. And yet still, though our lives are not in danger, Many of you know well there are challenges. There is opposition that you face on campus, in the workplace, in your families because you follow Jesus. Some of you, because you've come to follow Jesus, have had family members at the very least treat you harshly. Some of you, family members, even disown you because you've turned to Christ. Many of you face very real pressures in the workplace right now. You often find yourself thinking how you need to be careful in what you say. Wondering what will happen if they find out that you're a Christian. As various issues happen in society, you feel opposition in the workplace. Students from elementary school all the way up to all ages face this real difficulty. And so it is true that we don't face physical harm. But it's not so distant to think of opposition, persecution for following Jesus. And Jesus wants to prepare us. He wants to prepare you. This is a part of the life of the disciple. So when it comes, whether the opposition is great or small, don't be surprised by it. Don't be shocked and therefore crushed when it comes. But in the midst of this warning, Jesus also gives an encouragement. He says, don't be surprised, but instead, he says, be at peace. Look at verse 19 and 20. As we think about facing these difficulties, we, we, may, we may wonder, so if I was brought before the authorities because of Christ, would I have what it would take to stand up and speak for Christ? Would I be able to be bold and courageous? Or would my faith collapse? And so Jesus encourages us. He says, if and when you're delivered over to the authorities, don't worry. Don't don't worry that you won't have what it takes. Verse 19, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. And how, he says, the spirit of your father, the Holy Spirit will be speaking through you. So in that very moment, when you're before the authorities, he will calm and empower you. When you face opposition for Christ, friends, Christ will be with you. Friends, Jesus makes it clear the Holy Spirit will always help God's people. God is always faithful to his people when they face opposition, suffering, persecution for his name. Now, on the other hand, if you're facing opposition, difficulty in the workplace, not because you're a Christian, but because honestly, you're just being a difficult person who is a Christian, if you're just mean-spirited in the workplace, we can't assume the Spirit will help us in that. Because I'm not doing that for the sake of Christ. It's simply because I'm a difficult person. But friends, when you face opposition for following Jesus, the Spirit will always 
be with you. He will always empower you. Now we should notice what he says, though. He says, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So in that very moment, when you need it, he will give it to you. He doesn't promise he'll give you that a month ahead of time. He doesn't promise he'll give you two days ahead of time. But in that very moment, when you need it, when you need courage, when you need the words to say, the Spirit will give that to you. And friends, this is one of the beautiful, mysterious promises of God, that the Holy Spirit will dwell within every single Christian who places their faith in Christ. And therefore, because of that, wherever you are, wherever they take you, he is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you and in you no matter where you are. Over the years, we have supported work among Afghan peoples. So we've supported long-term workers there. So we've known some of them over the years. And about 15 years ago, there's a woman who's a long-term worker there that some of us from Hope knew who was kidnapped and that eventually died, killed, because she was a follower of Jesus. Very real opposition that we see in this text. One of the comforting realities is that they may have taken Sid away from family, away from co-workers, but no matter where the kidnappers took her, no matter where she was, the Spirit was with her and in her and keeping her and sustaining her and empowering her for whatever she faced until the last moment the Spirit was with her. And friends, that's good news for us as well. The wolves, those who oppose Jesus, can pull us away from family, friends, everyone else, but can never pull you away from the Holy Spirit. So we may think of this opposition and think, I'm just not strong enough. I wouldn't have what it would take to stand up in the midst of that. And we say, that's true today. But when you face it, if you face it, he will help you. He is strong enough. And we should certainly see, though, that this is not a promise to deliver us. He doesn't guarantee our safety nor our freedom. But he does promise to be with us to help us and to keep us to the very end. We see examples of this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, two of the apostles, Peter and John, were arrested for preaching Christ's death and resurrection. And they were brought before the Jewish authorities, just as Jesus said they would. And we see this in Acts 4.8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then we have Peter's response. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Brought before the authorities, empowered by the Spirit, given the words to say. In Acts chapter 7, this man named Stephen, who was brought before the authorities, there he preached a powerful sermon, as he was, as the text tells us, full of the Holy Spirit. So God gave Stephen courage and the words to say. And moments after that, Stephen was stoned and killed. Friends, God was faithful to empower Stephen. And Stephen boldly declared the gospel to all who were there. Stephen lost his life, but it was no loss for Stephen, for in dying, he gained Christ. God was faithful to keep, to empower Stephen to the very end. Now, this caution and this promise of God helping us doesn't mean that, that as Christians we aren't wise to prepare and be thoughtful about life in this world. 
You'll be wise to be thinking through, like, among your coworkers or family members or other students in light of a a certain current event or or something in in culture or in the news. You might think, "What, what might my coworker ask me about this if they know that I'm a Christian? What might be a thoughtful response in light of that? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we can always be preparing ourselves, trying to think through questions so that when the time comes, we'll be able to answer. We also see that Jesus also gives to us a beautiful assurance. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So if we endure to the end of life, we will be saved. We will know this full salvation. And the good news is that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, will empower you to endure to the end. So it's not the picture of if you're strong enough to endure to the end and you make it through, through your own effort and energy, then God will save you. Notice that because God has saved you by his grace, he will empower you by the spirit to endure in this life and you will finish. God will bring you to the end. So friend, have confidence and hope in this. Keep trusting Christ. He is faithful. He will keep you to the end. Jesus also tells us that we need to be discerning. Verse 23, he says, when they persecute you, flee to the next town. So he gives this general idea that things are really difficult and dangerous. You can move on to another town. There are other towns that need to hear the gospel so you can go and tell them. Now the end of that verse, at the end of verse 23, is, is really quite challenging to, challenging to interpret. Some think that this is referring to the death and resurrection of Christ, that that that's the sign that he's alluding to. Others think he's referring to the the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Others think he's referring to the return of Jesus Christ. The fact is it's not clear, but the point holds no matter what, and that is this. We want to be wise and discerning in the face of opposition. Sometimes... The wisest thing to do when faced in great danger, opposition for the name of Christ is to move on someplace else. Because there are lots of people that need to hear the gospel. You might say in in this particular city or in this village, it's too dangerous, we're going to move on. That can be a good and wise and discerning thing. We see it happen in the book of Acts when they'll move on to another community. But sometimes thoughtful Christians decide, they, they weigh out the cost, they weigh out the danger, and they say, I'm not going to move on, I'm going to stay for the sake of the gospel. Or some Christians say, I'm even going to go into dangerous places for the sake of the gospel because otherwise these people will never hear the gospel because there is no safe place to reach these people with the gospel. So fundamentally, we simply want to be discerning in this. Now, at a lower level, this may play out in in a workplace or in a campus where it might be really, really challenging to follow Jesus in your workplace. And so you might say, I've I've waited out, but I think it's wise for me to stay. And so you persevere in that workplace for the sake of the gospel. At other times, you might say, it's just so difficult, the opposition is so great that, that if possible, I might try to find another job. 
Same might be true from campus to campus, neighborhood after neighborhood, town to town. We want to be a discerning people in the face of opposition. My friends, as you face this opposition, be mindful of this. You are following your master, and he was opposed. Friends, when you face opposition, you are like Jesus. We see this in verse 24 and 25. This also happened to Jesus. And he repeatedly tells his disciples it will happen to them as well. Friend, if they slandered Jesus, you shouldn't be surprised if they slander you as well. Following Jesus, we're brought into the opposition that he faced as well. But why are we there? Why are we brought into these environments before those who oppose us? And we see verse 18, we're there for Jesus' sake. We're there, verse 22, for Jesus' namesake. And we also see we're there to bear witness to Christ. So in God's design, God's people are brought there like Stephen before certain people so they would hear the good news of the gospel. So that when you face opposition in the workplace and people oppose you for Jesus and you speak strategically, wisely of Jesus, friend, who knows how seeds are sown that one day may bear fruit in that person's life. I've often wondered about Sid when she was kidnapped and and the kidnappers saw her for, for weeks. They saw the way that she responded to opposition. They would have heard her words. And I don't know what those weeks were like, but I I imagine they saw because the Spirit was in her and with her, empowering her, that they must have seen beautiful, grace-empowered courage. A love that they had never seen before. And, And I wonder, will some of those who even put her to death years later consider Christ because of how they saw her bear witness to Christ? So, friend, as you face opposition, through that, other people are seeing, they're watching. No, no, we will not respond perfectly, but, but empowered by the Spirit, seeds are sown. We might wonder, though, where do we learn to live as sheep in the midst of wolves? Being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Well, friends, the one place to learn this is in the Gospels. In the four Gospels, because we see Jesus do this perfectly. In his life, we see him, the sheep, being attacked by wolves, and yet we always see Jesus wise and innocent. We see how he responded to those who opposed him. We see how he responds to those who seek to trap him, to those who slandered him. He shows us how to live this out. So if you're wondering, how do I do this in my workplace? Friends, just regularly be reading through the gospel accounts. Watch Jesus' life. But we also must see that eventually, Jesus intentionally allowed some of the wolves to even kill him. For he, the perfect son of God, the lamb of God, came and gave himself willingly gave himself up so that through his sacrificial death on the cross, that he would die in the place of sinners and rebels, in the place of wolves like us who oppose God. He died paying for our sin, our rebellion, our persecuting of those who follow Jesus. He was raised triumphant, conquering Satan's sin and the grave to provide this glorious salvation. It's a free gift held out to any and all who'd receive it by faith. 
So that through this gift of salvation, we are reconciled to God. We are freely and fully forgiven. We are a new creation. We are brought into new life now, life eternal, brought into God's own family. Now, friend, if you're not a Christian, this is what we want you to know, the beauty of Christ. We will never perfectly, Christians will never perfectly behave as sheep in the midst of wolves. We'll never do that perfectly. But, friend, Jesus did. And he gave himself up as a sacrifice for sinners like us. So if this is new to you, we invite you, you're welcome to join us every week to, to explore more of who Jesus is. If you'd like to know more, I'll be at the door on the way out. I'd be happy to chat with you. Or maybe if you came with a friend or a family member, if, if they're a Christian, they would love to tell you more as well. Or you can just write it on the connection card. Later on in the service, we'll receive the offering. You can drop the card in the basket. As we think about living wisely in the world, we also want to be alert, though, to some temptations that we'll face. Here's a great temptation we will face, and that is for us to fight the wolves like wolves. When we face opposition, difficulty, personally, culturally, Christians can begin to become angry and hateful. And we fight the wolves the same way they fight. And friends, when we do that, and Christians sadly do it often, When we do that, we're behaving contrary to our new nature as a follower of Jesus. Friend, we must not resort resort to the, the weapons, the actions, the plans of the wolves. So friend, be alert to that temptation. Another temptation is to, to think that it's possible for us to follow Jesus and to live in a way where we'll never face opposition. That that everyone will think well of us and that everyone will be okay with what we believe. Now, as a church, we desire to be good neighbors. So we've been in this neighborhood for 18 years to try to to love and serve our neighbors, and I I think if you ask various neighbors, in general, there's a a positive reputation. They might say of us, like, you know, we we love the church. They, They gladly just share their lawn with the neighborhood. Anybody can come and play on the swing set. You want to say, I admire the church because weekly, twice a week, they they serve those who are struggling with homelessness with free meals. They might say, yeah, I think it's great that the church at Christmas time, they give away free Christmas trees. But even though they would speak well of a number of things that we do, there will always be some of our beliefs that are seen as scandalous in our society. Some of our beliefs that are offensive to our city. Now, those will be different from culture to culture and society to society, but that will always be the case for the followers of Jesus. And it's a temptation as a church. It's also a temptation as an individual Christian to so much want people to speak well of us that we begin to compromise beliefs that are seen as offensive, beliefs that are out of step with the dominant winds of our culture. Another great temptation is because of opposition to withdraw from the world. For Christians to say, let's let's just pull out of this sinful, secular society. And I actually hear a number of voices uh, pushing this out in, in American Christianity. And it goes something like this, like, let's just sort of 
pull out of the cities and the suburbs, and, and maybe we just move away into more rural areas. We're going to get some land. We'll live off the land. Maybe we'll live with a number of other Christians in this society. Well, one, I wouldn't survive because I could never live off the land. So I, I, I couldn't grow enough on the land to actually live. So, so that part wouldn't work. But this idea of withdrawing from the world and only living with other Christians is contrary to the mission of Jesus. We are a sent people into this world. That doesn't mean everyone has to live in a city. That's not what it's saying. Or that everyone has to live in a suburb. But it does mean we're not given the option to simply withdraw and live only with other Christians. Because we're in the mission of Jesus that others might see the beauty and the grace of God. There are many related questions to this of what this looks like. So I would encourage you, maybe following the service, if you're outside having coffee or if you go for lunch, you might just ask one another, like, what are some challenges you face in your workplace or on your campus? Where do you feel that opposition? How have you handled that? So we see that we're not to be surprised. And then second, much more briefly, we see we're also not to be afraid. It's interesting that after preparing us to face opposition, warning of how substantial it would be, then Jesus says, verse 26, so have no fear of them which sounds like quite a strange statement. He's just warned us we're going to be dragged, flogged, accused, hated, attacked, and even killed, but have no fear of them. Well, fortunately, Jesus graciously gives us some reasons that we don't need to fear. He tells us first, verse 26 and 27, don't be afraid because truth and justice will eventually be known by all. On the last day, all the truth will come out, and lies will be shown for what they are. So the injustices that produce persecution will be shown to be unjust. The lies that perhaps people have told against you in the workplace, on the campus, will be shown to be untrue. The opposition that caused you to be mistreated, maybe to miss an opportunity, maybe not even to, to receive an, a promotion that you deserve because you follow Jesus, that will be shown to be what it is. We may be unfairly slandered now because of Christ, but in the end, the truth will be revealed and the truth of the gospel will finally be public and plain to all. The gospel will be known, not received by all, but known, made available made clear to all. So when we live in light of this, it enables us not to fear and to, to endure injustice, knowing in the end what is true will come out. Jesus gives us another reason that we don't have to fear in verse 28. He says, don't be afraid because they can only kill your body and not your soul. So he says, they, they can kill you, but they can only kill your body. They can't Kill your soul. So Christians don't need to be afraid because they can only kill our body. That's the worst that they can do to us. And we know if we're put to death, we gain Christ. Jesus says there's only one who's worthy of fear, and that's the one who's the judge and ruler of all. The one who has authority over life and eternity, and that is God. So Jesus points us to this right fear. And by fear, he means seeing God as truly ultimate. 
That he alone is the one worthy of our faith and allegiance and worship to see God as, as the sovereign, creating, sustaining, perfect, just God. And when we view God rightly, all these lesser realities that can cause fear are put in their place. And this right view of God can free us from these lesser fears. So Jesus is saying the worst they can do is kill your body, but that's all they can do. So Christians don't have to fear martyrdom. We don't go looking for it, but we don't have to fear it. Jesus also wants to comfort us that we would see that God is sovereign over all, and we are valuable to God. Jesus says that sparrows that are so common in the world, they have very little value, and yet he says when a sparrow falls to the ground, it doesn't do so outside of God's hand. God knows every single sparrow. He even knows the number of hairs on your head and on my head. You may have more on your head than I have on my head, but, but however many you have, God knows the number. And look what he says, verse 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus is making this argument, if God knows and cares about the sparrows, and he does because they're his creation, how much more will he care about people created in his image, and especially those people who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ? He says, have comfort in that. And we need to be sure that we see that this is not a promise that you won't fall to the ground. This is not a promise that you will not die. That is not the promise. But it is that our Father is over all, and he does control when we die. So the assurance is not that we won't face opposition and suffering. We will. This is intended to give confidence and hope that, friend, no matter what you face in this life, no matter how great the opposition or persecution, even if it leads to death, our Father knows he is in control, he is with us by the Holy Spirit, and he will never abandon nor let you go. Friends, God is the sovereign creator who is also the faithful, generous, loving Father who will never let his children so friends, trust him. Know that you have value to God. For if you're a Christian, you belong to him, so you don't have to fear. So let this right fear of God cultivate trust within you. Let it also then help us to rethink these fears that dominate us. The fact is, for most of us in the room, we, we likely won't in this life face the potential loss of our lives for following Jesus there's still real fears that you and I face. But these lesser fears are still fears nonetheless. So some of the day-to-day -day fears that we face are things like, what will others think of me? What will my coworkers think if they find out what I really believe about Jesus and the world? If I try to share the good news, the gospel with a parent, neighbor? Will they reject me? Would they want to end the relationship? And those and other related fears often paralyze us. 
So we're unwilling to join in the mission of Jesus. So friends, we're all wise to consider where do some of these fears currently impact your life as a disciple? Do the opinions of others dominate your life? Does your fear of rejection of others hold you back from speaking of Christ to people who so desperately need it? Friends, the right view of God that he is ultimate and that we can trust him and that he's good and faithful can free us from these lesser fears. And then we see, don't be afraid. Acknowledge Christ, and he will acknowledge you. Jesus concludes by zeroing in on this very important question. Will I acknowledge Jesus Christ, or will I deny him? He tells us, verse 32, everyone who acknowledged Jesus before people, he will also acknowledge before the angels of God. On the other hand, verse 33, those who deny Jesus will also be denied. So Jesus says we have this option. Will I acknowledge Christ, trust in him as Savior and King, or will I deny him? Will I refuse him? Now, by this, he doesn't mean like a momentary choice. The Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. But there was this ongoing abiding trust in Peter. So it's not this momentary acknowledging and denying, but but as the, the path of my life, am I living in denial of Jesus or acknowledging him? Friend, if you're not a Christian, this is the most important question you face in your entire life. Will you acknowledge Jesus as king, a savior who came to rescue? Or will you live apart from him, denying him, or will you turn to him by faith? We so desire that you would turn to Christ even today by faith. Now, the way we publicly acknowledge him is typically through baptism. So, so maybe you've come to faith in Christ, but you've not yet been baptized. But we'd encourage you to think about being baptized as a part of the life of the church. So if you'd like to know more about that, we'd love to chat with you about that as well. Jesus calls us not to be afraid. But friends, this call to not fear is, is not simply a call to just be strong. It's not a call to simply, in your own strength, be courageous. No, it is, don't be afraid because your God sees and he knows he is over all. He's gracious and loving. He will keep you to the end. He will sustain you through opposition, through persecution, even the end of life, and he will bring you home to him. He is with us. Friends, the call to follow Jesus is a costly one, but it is a good one. This is the life that's really worth living. We will face opposition for following Christ, even this week. But friends, your God is over all. He is faithful. He will help you this week. He will keep you next year. He will give you endurance, and he will finally save. So friend, Find hope this week in the midst of opposition.